This is the Coming Black to Africa podcast, a show focused on helping you, the African diaspora, with your return home journey. Whether you have roots here or not, each week I'll host someone who will share their experiences and tell their stories to help you prepare and navigate the integration ups and downs. My name is Robert Agufanabel, an Afro-Caribbean traveler, passionate about promoting and representing Africa. I am a champion of creativity, and I'll be the captain of this flight. Now, let the journey begin. Greetings, travelers. This is your captain speaking, Robert Agufana, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Coming Black to Africa podcast. Today's episode, we are taking a historic flight. This is a historic, monumental flight. And I have the privilege of hosting, um, having a co-pilot with me who is the brains, the beauty, and, and the tenacity behind this monumental historical flight. I'm talking about a flight, the first ever flight from Africa to the Caribbean. I have the person who engineered this whole plan. And we're going to hear the nuts and bolts and the behind the scenes of how this plan got developed. But we're also going to find out more about my co-pilot. So who is my co-pilot? My co-pilot is the esteemed Elizabeth Agbola. She's the CEO and founder of Nigerians Travel 2, NTT Travel. Guys, she has a master's degree in human resource management and training and has been able to use this skill set to leverage the development of various business interests. She is constantly seeking new avenues for creative expression and business development. You're going to hear a lot about that in her story. I am pleased to have the CEO of Niger Makeup Project, the initiative that brought us this inaugural flight from Africa to the Caribbean. So I want to welcome to the show, Elizabeth. How are you doing? Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased to be here with you. Thank you. It's such an honor to have you here on the show, and we are excited to delve into this wonderful story of yours. Uh, but just before we get into the heart of how this flight came about and what it means to so many people, we want to find out, who is Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth is a Nigerian-born British citizen. I say that because um, I emigrated with my... To emigrate or migrate, okay, migrate. <laughs> I migrated. I migrated 18 years ago to the United Kingdom, and my heart has always been at home since then. So I would normally come home every year till I was old enough to start buying my own ticket. And I made that every two years, considering I developed various business interests from as early as the age of 16 in Nigeria from identifying, I mean, I, I, I tend to, I, I think I'm naturally, naturally one that identifies um, opportunities and just makes it work for myself. So I must have identified the gap in being able to get Ankara fabrics in the UK at the time. And I would just buy, buy with me to take to the UK and sell to my friends in college. I went on in my second year in university at the age of 19 start my own clothing line with my best friend then, Jaylee's Clothing. And um, by the time I was 22, I started my full-time job. So Elizabeth, I can even I can even sense that you're getting calls right now, inquiries from Jamaicans who want to take that flight, um, and, and we're getting there. We're getting there, um, travelers. Um, in the middle of the recording, you know, calls are continuously coming in, and to show you how monumental this flight is. 
But just going back to your story of starting so many businesses, that is fantastic. From an early age of 16 years, that takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot of courage. For many of us, even starting one business or the first business is is quite scary. So what was your motivation or how, where did you get this insight and courage to start a business at 16? I know at 16, we, we take a lot of risk, but still starting a business is a whole new ball game. <laughs> so just as I said earlier, I'm one to spot opportunities and just find ways to just make it work or see a limitation and try to just find a solution. I've always been into providing services and solving problems. And I would say, I got a lot of my business acumen from my mother. My mother, I would call her a serial entrepreneur. She would literally convert any space in her site into a shop. I know she had a, a store growing up for rental services where she would rent out chairs, canopies for parties. She had right in the garage, she converted the garage where she was meant to park cars. She turned it to a supermarket. The entrance where she was supposed to have her gitman. After the gitman left briefly, she just turned the whole place to a game center for kids that lived that that were going to school next door. So the position we also lived was also the position of our house was also a very strategic one because we lived right next to the main hospital of my of the state I grew up in, Ogun State. And in that same state, they had um, medical students. Who, who also um, did their practicals in the in the hospital. So we had the school next to us, so we had the kids coming in, and then we had the university students coming in to get stuff. So right. I, I, I got used to serving. I got used to, I, I think I, I, I enjoyed the idea of the exchange, getting the money and <laughs> providing a service that made them happy. So I think from a very young age, I mean, I would... I would say as early as what now, as, as, as early as I can remember, um, my mom probably started that business when I was seven years old or eight years old. I'm not too sure. I think that's when we moved into that compound. And, right. you know, besides, besides having my mother in business, my eldest sister, she's an accountant, she has her own practice. Mm-hmm. So I know I was doing some HR support for her clients. So I got used <laughs> to serving that way as well. My brother, he's a, he's a photographer and a talent manager in the UK. He, he, the only person who's my business in my family is just one of my sisters who's a medical doctor. So it just so tries that we always have one business to talk about in my family because we're all mostly in it. That's a fantastic support system. And shout out to your sibling who's an accountant. Um, such as myself, accountants are superheroes. Oh, see that. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> um, but but even your sister, who's a medical doctor, she's still in service. And like what you said, I think what you said is that you got used to being of service and providing a solution. And and that's the key to entrepreneurship, you know, being of service. You need to solve a problem, but you need to be of service to others. That's that's fantastic. And so we're building up to see how you got that idea and how did you you know run with that idea to get this flight going. But when you saw this in your mom and even in your own businesses, did you ever fail? Did your mom ever fail in any business? How, how did you deal with that if you failed? Because I know as an entrepreneur, not every business works out exactly as it should. Absolutely. I mean, I, I did watch my mom fail. I did know that um, her rental business really crumbled. And it crumbled mainly because her staff were cheating her and her staff were you know, oh, sub- subletting her furniture and her, her rental stuff. 
I mean, and you know, she she couldn't do anything because she couldn't drive a lorry, she couldn't drive a truck to deliver these chairs. She couldn't. It was a man's job in her terms, so she just let it go and sold off all her things. Um, for me, my clothing line, I let it go really quickly, and it's something I regret now. At the time when I failed and let it go, I didn't. I failed mainly because I didn't have time, and I refused to create time. As much as I loved what I was doing, because I had a steady income, the business became a stressful hustle for me instead of it being a passion thing. I mean, it just I just lost balance. And maybe it was also an age thing that I'm sure many businesses will come in my life. Maybe it was that kind of thing because I'm talking about what now, 21, 22 years of age when I let go of this passion I started from uni, which was... Ankara online clothing store, one of the first of its kind at the time in the UK, where I'm one of the first set of people to wear Ankara to the club. Sometimes I still go on Google and type out the brand name and I still see the pictures and I'm like, oh my God, why did I give up? Why didn't I just create more time? Why didn't I just find a way to delegate? You know, I, I do all so I, I have days I wake up and I say, Should I resurrect this? Should I I have days I do that? When I go on trips, people are like, oh, my gosh, I love what you're wearing. And I explained to them, I said, it comes from, you know, years of me having to do this. So I put it now into my travel, but not on a commercial basis. One of these days, maybe I'll have a travel store where I will sell Ankara related to travel. I don't know, but it's, it's somewhere hanging. But, yes, I have failed. And I think that failure made me say to myself, whatever I do, not until it's over, is it over. All right, and and we don't want you to give up on this um, this historic flight. We want it to continue, and 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 we're getting closer to you revealing, you know, exactly how it started. But one of the businesses you you did when you were younger, also, you started to organize travel trips for your friends. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so that's actually how I got into um, travel. So I was just traveling. So I discovered two things when I started earning my own money. I discovered travel made me happy and going to the cinema alone made me happy. (laughs) So I invested a lot in those two things. So traveling, I I, I would go on trips and people would be like, oh my gosh, I love what you did in Egypt. When are you going next? Where are you going next? Let's go together. So I started taking my friends. I would send text messages earlier in the year. Guys, let's go here in June. Um, this is the cost, this is the this is where we stay, you know, I just wanted to have their company on those trips. And a year after, when obviously it became a case of people turned it to super liberty for license. So I said, listen, guys, I'm going to be taking ten out of every payment. And they're like, that's fine. So I think the year after I thought, hold on, I want, to ha- I want us to have our own hashtag on Instagram. Hashtag Nigerians travel too, because we're Nigerians that travel too. And when I opened the Instagram accounts five years ago, so five years this July, so maybe like four and a half years ago, I didn't think it was never meant to be a business. It was meant to be initiative in the travel of my friends and I. And I can say the rest is history now because between when we opened that page four and a half years ago and now, I can say we've done, we've been to nothing less than 20 destinations since then as groups or as individuals. I mean, I'm not even counting the custom the, the tailor-made travel that we've done for others, like honeymoons and stuff, but like actual group where I spin the globe and say, 
this is where we're going to go this year. I create a calendar. We put it like out there to people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, sometimes there are places where I've not been and I'm like, hang on, I want to go here and mm-hmm. it would be nice to not go alone. But I hardly, I hardly, maybe I take that risk once a year to go to, to take a group to where I've never been. I tend to take them to repeat. Like I would have gone there, set the relationship, create the stories, give them the whole motivation to know like, guys, this is the, this is the life you're going to live in this place when you go. So once a year, I would pick a risk destination where I've never been. I would just go and explore it together. So um, yes, we've done, we've done nearly. We've done Asia. We've done mm-hmm. so that's South America. We've done lots, lots of trips in Europe. Um, North America, Africa, sure. actually, Africa we have. But the hardest trip is we've not done a lot as we should in Africa. Mm-hmm. And you can ask me about that later. As much as we should do, based on the we are in Africa concept, we've actually yeah. been able to do more outside that within Africa itself. I know the challenges around that one, and I'm going to ask you that question later, as you said, because <laughs> I definitely want to know yes. more. <laughs> <laughs> so, was um, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. Was Jamaica a mm-hmm. risk destination, or had you been there before? So. When I started the project in May, in March, mm-hmm. um, sorry, in, in March actually, because March was when I did the presentation, I soaked myself into a lot of studying and it was so March in 2020? 2020. It was, right. I was so uncomfortable having to make a presentation to people based on where I'd never been. I felt like a liar, but I knew I had mm-hmm. to. I couldn't go to Jamaica before the trip because then the trip was meant to be in July before the COVID. So the original plan was for us to go during the Radio Sun Fest in July. Right. COVID struck and then we moved it to December. So um, when we paused the project and I, I will resume the project again in August, I knew to make things better, especially with the uncertainties with the COVID, I had to take a trip myself. So I did go in October to Jamaica just before the trip in December. All right. All right. And on travelers, I've really jumped ahead and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold myself and constrain myself so that we get the story so <laughs> chronologically. <laughs> well, the conversation was going so organically. All right. So then you started, you started this Nigerians travel too and you've, you've started traveling the world, you know, so your mind started opening up again and then here bites the entrepreneurial bug. Well, not quite the entrepreneurial bug. Let's call it the curiosity bug. You're at a cocktail party. And you make, in quotes, a joke. Tell us about that. Well, um, well, quotes a joke. Exactly. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> One of the usual jokes I throw at any ah. party where I meet. It's a usual joke. That's the honest truth. Because for mm-hmm. me, networking is key. And I find myself in a community of people where I know if I sell myself and sell my business in seconds, I would be able to get their support. I'll be able to get their recommendation for me to get visas for my clients, which is like, you know, the hollow grace for any travel business in Nigeria. If you can, if you can literally have destinations where we are eyes closed, you can just go say hello to them there and say, oh, it's been a while. And they ask you, oh, hope your clients had fun the last time. And they can ask you that because you've just sent them a, Send them the exit stamps to say, my clients left this country. They didn't stay back. So the relationship <laughs> builds, they're trusted, they're seen as, um, as someone um, promoting their country as a destination, not someone 
we call it packaging, not someone mm. packaging people out of the country. So I was at that party and I saw an opportunity and I said, oh, it would have been nice to take people to Jamaica, but you know how the story goes, getting a US visa or UK visa would be a whole lot of hassle. And, he said, and, and who are you no, telling this? I was telling Ambassador Esmond Reed, who is the Jamaican oh. ambassador to Nigeria. All right, so, so this is no ordinary person. Him, You're speaking directly to the ambassador. <laughs> okay. I was speaking to the ambassador at the party, yes. The party was actually the lead do of the Cuban ambassador. So he was leaving. It was his, time, his, time, his term was up at the time. So you would expect Caribbean countries to be present at such a at such a, a leave do. I mean, we don't have a lot in Nigeria. We have, um, I think we have just three, actually. We have Jamaica, Trinidad, and Cuba. So um, I digress. So I then I said to him and he said, hmm, maybe we could just have our own flight. And he laughed and I laughed because we, we knew it was a joke. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he said, hang on. I, I know some people in um, some airlines, some pilots. Let me speak to them. I thought, okay. We swapped cards. Three days after I checked up, I said, oh, have you asked? He said, oh, I totally forgot. I'm sure he, it's not like he forgot. He just mm -hmm. said it to me at the moment he met me. I'm sure even he didn't think it was, it was a possible was, thing. So right. because I pushed, he sent a message and then he sent me a message back on WhatsApp to say, oh, I spoke to this airline, go speak to another airline and um, come back to him. And the chairman of Airpeace was very happy. He was very insane on board. And mm -hmm. he, he built a better up and the rest is history, they say. And indeed, it is history. Well, it's history unfolding right before our eyes. That is, wow, I, I would have exactly. never guessed that was the backstory to, to how this flight happened. Well, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> that, was, that was the story. It was a, was a wine story. And, you know, it, 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 I think what eventually happened was the moment he came back to me and said, okay, we have an airline. I think it hit me like, hold on. It's real. How am I going to do this? How, what, what is my plan again? Do I plan to fill a plane up? What is what, what, what was I thinking? <laughs> 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 then I thought, okay, that's fine. I have good relationship with travel operators within Nigeria. Let me put together a presentation and invite all of them to come on the stakeholders for these. So I had an online. No, we had a physical because there was no COVID then. We had a physical. I hosted them. Um, about forty of them. We had a restaurant partner with us, a Jamaican restaurant in Lagos. So we had some Jamaican food. Mm -hmm. So it was more like intro to Jamaica. So we had the taxis, the jet. And we tried to make it a fusion because that's what Niger Jamaica is about, which is Nigeria and Jamaica. So we call Nigeria Niger. So Niger Jamaica. The fusion is just perfect as as as, as, as for the two countries. So we had like the jollof rice, and then we had the jerk chicken. We had um, um, zobo, which is like, which is sorrel, by the way, in right. Jamaica. But we have zobo. So we brought in all the things that were similar, and we had a whole presentation. I invited the ambassador to the presence to represent Jamaica at the program, and everybody was really happy on board. And COVID happened. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> what COVID a time! Happened, and it left me with a choice of. Forgetting about Abandoning. it, mm -hmm. or just going on. So there was there was actually travel restrictions. No flight was going into the UK, into into Nigeria. I was in the UK by March when the lockdown happened. 
I, I knew I had to come to Nigeria to continue the conversations with the airline, continue the conversations with the high commission, continue the conversations with the travel operators. I knew I had to come in. And I, I, I had to literally travel through Benin Republic, which is on the border of Nigeria, wow, and then yeah. travel by road into Lagos. That was the only way I could get into Nigeria in the month of August. So we could conclude the plans for the program. And when we concluded and we had to go ahead to continue, I set up another uh, meeting. This time around it was via Zoom in the month mm -hmm. of uh, September with even more travel operators. I think we had at least 60 of them. And then we had um, a representative from the Jamaican Tourism Board in London join us. And we also had um, representatives from Airpeace Airline join us. And we had the Consul General at the Embassy join us. So all the stakeholders really were all present at that meeting in September, which was pretty much uh, Jamaica as a destination. And... Um, that was September. Then I went in October to gather more stories, more more things to convince people that could go. And yes, there was this issue once again. <laughs> yeah, and then the flight took off in December. I mean, that's a short timeline for such a monumental project. Um, and, and that's even with COVID. So if COVID wasn't there, when what was the initial um, launch launch day? Was it August? You said. It was, it was July. July, right, right, for the London summer fest. July, yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. And, big... and lockdown, lockdown, lockdown started, I think, around the 28th, 26th of March. Yeah. We put, my company put out the package for Jamaica. We put it out like first week in March, like right after that Ooh. presentation. And at that time already, we had 10 signups at that time. Some of them stayed on and they said, keep the money, I would mm -hmm. use it whenever you guys want to go to Jamaica. While some said, you know, I'm not certain, I'll have it back. But, you know, it was really good to see that people waited up. Like, you know what, any which days I want to go to Jamaica. I've always wanted to go. It's been stressful. Now you're making it easy. You know, mm. see, at times when I said, I, I, I really want to take a break, I really don't want to do this again. I remember those people who waited since March. Yeah. And I felt like if they believed in me and believed in the company and the project, who am I not to believe in myself and just face it? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are happy that you've done that. I, I, you know, I have a few questions just from all that you're telling us. N number one, like, so where did okay. this desire come from? To, for Nigerians now to travel to Jamaica? Were, were your customers telling you that? Or is it because you were just speaking to the ambassador that that idea came? Had you ever thought about it before? Because this has never happened no. before. I had, I had never thought about it. There's no way I would have thought about it. Because as I said, mm. there's a limitation. So I only said it to some fancy next to the ambassador <laughs> because I knew it was not possible. I was so certain. Oh, I thought I would have loved just to, you know, express to him my level of importance. Ha, ha, ha. You see, I would love to, but there you go. Your country can't suck things out. So really, you know, it was that tone and attitude. Of, mm -hmm. it's, it's the same way I would have met the Spanish ambassador. I said to him, oh, I would love to bring a group to Spain. I would love them mm -hmm. to experience my buyer. I would love them to go to Ibiza. It's the same way I would have sold myself, my company, my clients, and their destination. Because I'm familiar with some destinations, so it's easier to 
you know, have these conversations when you're talking about places they know about as well. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> so, and thankfully, he spent a long time in London. So he had that whole, mm. the bus, and the bus is still red, and they're like, yeah, you know. So mm. it was a good conversation, and I knew I had to say something to sound very smart. <laughs> but <laughs> and in, indeed, you did. Never you were smart. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't expect the response I got. <laughs> I mean, no. I don't want to say no effort, but like, it's not something that you were muzzing over. You know, like worried about. You just like so. You had no risk. You had no risk in saying it. Um, and look at how it turned out. I mean, this is just an example of the creativity we see coming out of you through different businesses. The sky's the limit. Um, when it when it comes to Elizabeth, and that's what you did. You showed us that because I know there are people who have been well, trying to make this happen, but they just exactly. never got it to happen. Elizabeth can take all the credits. I mean, I could not have done it without the support of the Jamaican High Commission because yeah. there were a lot of approvals needed, there were a lot of uh, permits needed, there were a lot of support needed. All of that I was able to get through the Jamaican High Commission, through to get the buy-in of Jamaica. And on the Nigerian side, the good thing was last year marked 50 years of Jamaica and Nigeria for their 50th mm-hmm. year and um, bilateral relationship. So it was easy for the Jamaican High Commission to invite um, the Nigerian Foreign Minister, Minister Oyama, to join us on that trip. It was very easy because it was a, it was a, it was a short trip. And having so Minister funny. Oyama, exactly. So having him, his support, you know, times when we had one thing hanging, he was always there. So we need this. Okay, okay. You know, he, he was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. Everybody was amazing. The chairman of APIS. You know, times when I said, oh, sir, there's no way we can get the numbers we need. There's no way to do this. Okay, <laughs> still do this. Oh, still do that. Still, you know, and we had um, we had so many people. We had so many supports. So I, there's, no, I, there's no way I would have done it by myself yeah. and my team. Oh, my God. I had days my staff were sleeping in the office because, oh. you know, we, were, we created our own ticketing engine. So imagine the ticketing engine crashing a couple of days to the flight and people were saying, mm. we don't have our tickets. So I was sleeping in the embassy because visas were not out. And the I was time difference was a killer. Yes. <laughs> the time difference was a killer because 6 a.m. in Nigeria was 12 midnight in Jamaica. So people in the, 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 the team in Jamaica were taking their walk home because there was curfew. Mm. They were working from home in the evening to finish up with the visas. And I was waiting at the embassy as early as 6 a.m. so I could courier all the passports to Lagos for the clients where the flight was going to take off. So it was a whole... Wow. So um, I, that was going to be one of my questions. What's the nature of the bilateral arrange, uh, agreement between Nigeria and Jamaica? Do Nigerians need a visa to get to Jamaica? Do Jamaicans need a visa to come to Nigeria? They both need. They both need. They both need visas. Yes. Yeah, it's it's good that our travelers are aware of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a yes, frequent traveler. I mean, it's quite a straightforward, it's quite a straightforward process. It's not one of those ones where they ask you for your arm and your leg and what is Greece? Uh, the head Greece of a chicken. One <laughs> oh, your certificate of celibacy. There you go. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's important. They, they they must know all of that. And, and you know, that's one of the things that I, I really want with, with this podcast for us to to get to, you know, this removing these visa restrictions for, for black brothers and sisters to be able to connect, to be able to reunite. I mean, we shouldn't make it this difficult. And we that's something that we definitely have to change. So uh, next next time you're at a cocktail party with ambassadors, please uh, make a joke about that. Like, <laughs> Well, if you ask me, I would say... I would say I'm not a supporter of that. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you why. Mm-hmm. And I say, and I will say this in front of a thousand people. The challenge with, I would use Nigeria as, a, as an example. I said it earlier, but we didn't catch it. There are two types of travelers. They are the ones that either go for business, leisure, you know, people who right. understand travel is go and come back. And they're the ones that say travel as pack your bags and never come back. One way. Yeah, they that's don't true. even understand yeah. They don't even understand you doing things the legal route. You know, I know there was a time I was having a conversation with the Consul General for Brazil, and he kept saying to me, what annoys me is there are ways this guy can go legally. We don't receive any applications. We have 20 spaces for scholarship for Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Not, nobody is using it. You know, there's so many things you mentioned, and I'm like, my people would not go through this because they want something quicker. Yeah. something faster. So I would say with regards to removing visa restrictions, it's, it, it, it might allow the wrong people come into the place and it will leave a bitter taste in the mouth of the both countries. Mm-hmm. People, I'll give an example with Tanzania. Tanzania was visa-free for Nigerians. And I will tell you, I, as a company, I know how many people I sent to Tanzania for vacations. They love it. You know, Mm-hmm. But there were people who heard no visas and they packed their bags and they didn't come back. And because when you go to a place without a, a proper plan, you end up turning to crimes or you end up turning to, um, you, 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 you end up as a mess that is visible in the destination. Mm-hmm. And, it then, and then they then pick the 10 people, the 10 people who, amplify that. who, who, who and then amplify it and say, Nigerians. Mm. And then they did what? They stamped visas. So Tanzania is not visa-free for Nigerians anymore. This was a place where people would call up in the morning and say, I'm bored. And we say, oh, go to Tanzania. And they just book wow. it and go. That's not there anymore. So for me, I worry, once they do that, we're going to get five people filter through and when they get there, they would do something to leave a mark, they would leave a bitter taste, and then they say Nigerians. So you, you, you try to avoid the few spoiling it for the many. Exactly. So even if you're going to make it visa-free, um, I would say instead of visa-free, make it uh, make the visa process simplified. Maybe even yes. visa. All right. Send it to Nigeria in visa. You just apply, put your information, that's the end. Yeah. And you get your visa up in your email. So they can, they can simplify it. But yeah. I would not say visa free because that's part of the problem Barbados had. Barbados had a charter 2008. And that charter, from what I heard, it was a mess because it was filled with a whole lot of people who, who packed their things to, to, to Barbados for unnecessary hopes. And those are the challenges that we find in the in traveling and moving across uh, nations. Um, uh, uh, mo- the most ideal situation was is for us not even to have borders in Africa. You know, we should just be one. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the ideal. Yeah, that's the ideal that we should that's get. That's the to. ideal thing. 
But just for our travelers, if we can take a few seconds, because you mentioned that the airline that was used was Airpiece. Um, so where is, yeah. many of our travelers may not be familiar with Airpiece. Where is Airpiece domicile? You know, what kind of airline is it? So, so Airpiece is the biggest, I would say, in, um, in, Af- in um, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not the biggest in Africa. In West Africa, that's it. West Africa, they're the biggest in West Africa. They're the biggest players domestically. And um, they... They have their own regular routes to the likes of Dubai and South Africa, most recently, actually. And, you know, during the COVID period, we did a whole lot of repatriation flights to Israel, to China, to um, Indonesia. You know, they went to a whole lot of places, and that really propelled them in the, in the limelight of their strength for international travel. So besides them being the only people in West Africa with the size of crafts, that we need. Um, yeah, because I can imagine that's in like, Nigeria. Yes. It's like a 12 hour flight, I guess. You need the. Uh, it's a, a, a 11 and a half. Exactly. Mm. And if you want to do it non stop, you're talking about using them triple sevens. Triple and, sevens, yeah. Um, exactly. If we're to, and if you're to use the craft from any other country, it would not be a direct flight anymore. So it was very, very important that he had to leave from Nigeria for it to for it to count as direct. So yes, there was because of the, the is it because of the IATA rules like the, the the planes have to go to their home base first, right? Is there's a there's a rule around it's, that? It's what part, partly that, and also if we were to go, for example, so for example, if we use Askai that is based in Lome, it would have left Lome to come. To to Nigeria, that would have been a separate cost. Right. And pick us up from Nigeria, and then we end in Nigeria to where we have to go to. So cost-wise, it makes no sense. Also, chances are we would have to go to Lomet to pick more people and then head off. So logistically and um, relationship-wise, it, it was just it just made more sense. Nightmare. Right. The the question that I have is. Oh, I've always thought that the reason why we don't have flights directly from Africa to the Caribbean was some sort of aerodynamic or, you know, some something that prevents aircraft from going there. I mean, do you know, uh, while running this project, oh, no why way. it just has never happened? Oh, no way. <laughs> so why oh, has no it never way. happened? It's never happened because it's never happened. It's never, I will tell you categorically, it's never happened because it's expensive. Mm. It's never happened because it's expensive. It is very, very expensive. It's an expensive operation. And because it's an expensive operation, demand would never match up. Because people are used to buying 1,500 flights, 1,800 flights, Mm -hmm. and maybe maximum $2,000 sometimes. But when you find yourself buying 2003, 2005, if you're lucky, $2,000, then, you know, you're not going to get the demands you need to, 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 to maintain that route. And it's also a case of the balance. I would say I was speak for Nigeria. Nigerians are travel lovers. So with their eyes closed, if you tell the destination to them, they would go. Yeah. You know, they, they love to travel. And because they love to travel, they don't think too deeply into the costs. If, the, if, if it's the set of people you're talking to, you know, there's some set mm-hmm. of people that... They want to go if they want to go. A cost is not a problem. They would either say towards it or work hard towards it. There's always a, okay, that's fine. I'll make it work. But some on the other side, the Caribbean side, 
it's not everybody that can easily bring out $1,000 and say they're off to the side. And for the flight to work and be service and, and, and be profitable, there has to be a balance between the two sides. So if either way, I have been say 200 Nigerians and 100 Jamaicans or other people from the Caribbean, or we're having 100 to 200. You know, there has to be a balance between the inbound and the outbound. And outbound, right. So people have thought about it and thought to themselves, why go through this stress? Let me go for the low-hanging fruit. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, this 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 flight is is very personal to me because I was born in Kenya and I grew up in the Caribbean, the Caribbean island of um, Antigua, Antigua and Barbuda. And and trust me, moving back okay. between was hectic. You know, I had to go through London. Um, and those days, it was just British Airways or Virgin Atlantic, and um, it used to be a twelve-hour layover. It was it was excruciating. It was excruciating. Um, so, so this is very exciting for me um, that we can get a direct flight. But I, I believe that we can get demand. Once we get demand up, that can definitely drive the cost down um, if we can get the demand going. So that that brings me to my my one of my other questions. Selling it to Nigerians was easy. Now, feeling that plane coming back, um, how did you manage to sell, you know, to the Caribbeans, so, to the Jamaicans to come back to Africa? It was, it was never meant to bring people back. The original um, plan was for the plane to park on ground. I actually got a waiver from MDJ Airport for the plane to mm-hmm. park for a whole week in Jamaica. It was never meant to bring people back. It was just meant to bring people into Jamaica and take them back because I knew because of the time we had just two and a half months literally to market right, the destination. Promote, yeah. So that would be double marketing. That would be us marketing on two sides, and I don't want to have to go through that. However, um, Airpiece started a South Africa route, and two of their other 777s were actually out for service at the same time. So they actually had to return to service right. their other, other route and mm-hmm. then come back for us. So this is the first time we're actually going to have Jamaicans coming in. And if All you right. ask me, I would say... It's not been too easy. It's not. It's not been heavy. Yes, um, if people would. There are two types. I've noticed there are two types of people in the Caribbean. That the people that are into this Africa is home, mm-hmm. and the people that are into oh please spare us. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I read, a, I read a comment. I read a comment where someone wrote, "This is just um, people playing on our emotions." to extort us for for money for expensive tickets. When I read the comment, I just, you know, I think initially when I saw comments like that, I used to get so mad and be like, these guys don't see what I'm doing. And I think now when I see such comments, I just laugh because I've come to realize there are two types of, mm-hmm. of, of people. And acceptance is very key. So when I see such, I just smile and look away. But um, I mean, with- as I said, yeah, Sorry? With Ghana's with Ghana's um uh, the the year of return in 2019, um, they did some heavy marketing uh-huh. to to you know, but mainly to the Black American market, but also to the Caribbean market, yeah. and and that that's starting to bear fruit now. I get a lot of inquiry, which is why I started this podcast because there's there's some increase in demand, increase in demand of 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 people coming back to Africa, um you know, from the North American market and even from the Caribbean. Uh, yeah, I also find that uh-huh. from the Caribbean market we. Of course, numbers-wise, generally, I mean, the Caribbean is, doesn't have that bigger population um, like like the US or even Nigeria as as one country in Africa. But the, the numbers mm-hmm. are increasing. Numbers are increasing a bit. Um, but for make it a bit justifiable business case, yeah, that's that's where it can get a bit tricky. I can see how that's coming. But did you get any inquiries from the North America market? You know, from the US for Black Americans. 
at the time we didn't actually think of them as mm. um, people that uh, we didn't see them as part of the model. It was it was later. I mean, in this current chapter, we saw them as flying to Jamaica and Jamaica to Nigeria or to Ghana. So mm. I have them somewhere in my mind for August because I know. I mean, the thought came to my head early, early, very early um, last. Oh, we're still in February. Very early this month. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a way to connect with the Black diasporans, the, 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 the various um, groups, the yeah. Hispanic, the Black Hispanics, the Black Latinos, the, you know, all of those Black groups. I'm going to yeah. find a way to connect with each and every one of them to say to them, you guys are based here in the U.S. You guys can support and come into Jamaica. We can actually have a, a back-to-back um, uh, uh, experience whereby we explore the Jamaica history and you know, yeah. go from go from back to front, you know. Yeah. How they yeah. came into Jamaica and then back to Nigeria where we go to so it's a bit like a whole heritage thing where they come to Nigeria, they go to the Calabar, they go to um Badagri and then they go to Ghana, to Cape Coast, mm. to Amina. And through all of these as well, experience and meet the people and change their ideology. Because a lot of people will be like, ah, Nigeria. I, I don't. I, I've, I've left the points where I actually sell Nigeria to people. I've left it. There was a time <laughs> when I'd be like, "What do you mean?" But now I'm at a point where come and see for yourself. You will see that there are two sides, and that is Absolutely. what most African countries are about. You're either rich or you're poor. If you're in the middle, you're struggling and good for you. So it's one of the two. It is a country of extremes where you either see a mud hut here or you see a mansion there, and you're like, "Oh my God, am I in the same place?" Yes, man, you're in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people don't get it unless you see it and experience it. It it's 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 you know can be a bit difficult to comprehend. But I love that idea of yeah. a full a full heritage tour. You know, so someone from um, the US, Black American, Black Latino, whoever you are, you come to Jamaica, you see, okay, so how did my brothers and sisters end up here? You find out that heritage, the, you mm-hmm. know, the and then you come now all the way back to to Africa. I mean, that's that that would just be that's phenomenal. That's a phenomenal experience for people. Yeah. So what's one what's one I'm surprising thing that happened? Uh-huh. What's one surprising thing that happened? Yeah. Sorry, you wanted to say something? No, 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 no. One surprising thing that happened when? During this part of our uh, planning? Yeah, what, what surprising... Did you get any surprising requests or inquiries, you know, when you started promoting this? Because I know the thing is, even if you're promoting just to Nigerians and Jamaicans, I'm sure other people see what's going on online and will be like, hey... We, we, had, we had Namibians, we had Tanzanians, we had people from South Africa, we had them inquire, and I think the best part for me was people from the U.S. who asked to come to Jamaica, so their family in Nigeria could actually join them in Jamaica. Mm. So I I would love to say I made some people's Christmas a bliss <laughs> because they could see each other considering, you know, Let's, I mean, there was I actually did an interview for one of them. She said she's had to go to Nigeria every year and do the 12 hours flight. And she said it feels good to have him do such a distance and him have, and she had to do just one and a half hours from Miami. Mm. And for me, that was really touching. And it was beyond, you know, her because her going to Nigeria is her going to their house, their home, it's a regular yeah. life. But him coming to Jamaica, she coming to Jamaica, it was certainly a vacation for them. She wasn't cooking. It was an all-inclusive resort. 
she was she was living her fairy tale life as she said you see so <laughs> christmas in jamaica <laughs> exactly we also had a couple she's a she's american she went to nigeria to get married to her husband um last year a year ago literally and she signed up for this trip and what i realized eventually towards the end of the planning was she went to nigeria by herself to get married because her mom was um she couldn't um, do long flights or something like that. So this is what she's done. She's gone to Nigeria to get married. She's met her husband's people. Her husband is come to Jamaica and she flew 15 members of her family to Jamaica to meet her husband. So they did a whole renewal of vows in Jamaica just to reinforce their love and all and having her family there like a reverse of what had happened when she got married last year in Nigeria. So when you think about those things, you know, it just makes you smile like, okay, <laughs> What I started as a play, a joke, is now turning to real-time real solutions for people. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, fantastic. This in-flight entertainment has been wonderful. And I'm looking at our <laughs> flight plan. <laughs> and and we're, nearing, we're nearing our destination. We're nearing our destination. Uh, at what point do we eat? Uh, oh yeah, we we have been eating. All the the good stories you've been telling us have, have been good. You gave us sorrel. You gave us jollof rice. Um, <laughs> you are such a cheat. <laughs> it, it's cost cutting. It's cost cutting. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that inaugural flight made a stopover in in Accra, right in Ghana. No, it didn't. It didn't. Oh, it didn't. Okay. All right. No, it was just uh, Nigeria. So oh, we decided just... to we decided to add Ghana for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. the obvious relationship between the two countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time in December, we couldn't actually, as I said, facilitate too much promote too many too, too much promotion. Right. So this time around, we thought, okay, let's try. And we had quite a few inquiries from Ghana. We even had we had like eight people that joined us from Ghana. So we thought, okay. Maybe we can actually make this um, stop over and then um, come over. But what we all know on the side of West Africa is Ghanaians don't do a lot of um, outbound travel. They're not big on travel. Travel for them is travel for purpose. Not a lot of them are leisure travelers like on our side in Nigeria. So I know for one, you know, that I'm not expecting so many people from Ghana However, I'm expecting many people from the Jamaican side for Ghana. Mm. So, in either ways, we need each other. So, it's a case whereby they need us for inbound, we need them for outbound. So, we would continue to have that relationship with each other to ensure it's, it's working for us both. All right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Woof, it's this is a lot of work. <laughs> this is a lot of work of organizing a flight. Yeah, I can see why it, it's it's taken this long to happen. <laughs> but we really want to appreciate and acknowledge you. Yeah, yeah this is this has been great. So I want to ask you two final questions. One question, well, okay. yeah, one question has three parts. What as a travel <laughs> expert. As a, as a travel expert, I'm not cheating. I'm just I'm just being smart with my questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. What what three life hacks would you say to 
someone who's in the diaspora right now, um, you know, probably in the UK, um, in America, in the Caribbean, who wants to come back to Africa, that that traveler, as you said, category one, who's, yes, I want to reconnect with Africa. You know, what are three life hacks you would say for, you know, for them to think about as they plan a trip coming back to Africa? Okay, the first thing is they need to open their minds. Like, open it, like, totally, like, in short. No, they don't have to open their minds. They have to leave their minds back in whichever diaspora they're coming from and create a new mind. They should not bring the mind or the ideology of where they live in, where they see constant electricity, where they see good roads, where they see, they should forget about it and know they're entering a new world. So that way they don't come through and feel like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? Because there are the sites that would look like shit holes, and there are the sites that you'll be like, oh my God, Mama Africa, God bless you. And when you even get to the sites that look like shit holes, you still have to appreciate it because it is still part of home. You should not just take the beautiful sites. Take it all and try to make sure your presence um, has a level of impact. Like before you come, Try to find some some charity that you would love to support whilst coming to Africa. So that way, you know, even if it's just your hundred pounds or your hundred dollars, let it know that it made someone smile. Like I'll give an example. My sister, the accountant, she has a charity um, where she supplies computers to schools. But you know the very school I told you was next to our house growing up? Yeah. She, she, she's given back to that school now. She's um, oh, handling nice. there. She's sponsoring their, um, compute, their computer. Um, um, so that's the first first thing is, is to open their minds. And I think the second part is, is part of it. Then giving back. Then giving back to the second half, actually. Then giving back would actually feed their soul. And it doesn't have to be expensive. My sister actually, um, like I said, she has um, that foundation. And there was a time she went and she saw kids without shoes and she just sent a message to my family's WhatsApp group. We're just four kids and my parents, so six of us. And she said, oh my gosh, I'm right here. I'm not happy these kids are not wearing shoes. Some are not, some don't have, some have. That she wants to actually just provide 80,000 shoes to these guys, you know. She called an amount, I can't remember. Just within my family, we raised the money because by the time you convert the pounds, it goes a long way in in, in, in Naira, and she sent a picture to all of us and said, look at my kids, they're all in their shoes, and that gave a sense of, oh my gosh, a part of what the money I'm earning is, is going into something good back at home. Back home. Mm-hmm. So they should really try their best to do something like that at the second half. The third half is, is what now? Um, Africa is not necessarily cheap, so <laughs> they should try their best to save before they come. They shouldn't just say, I saw a $600 ticket and off to Nigeria or off to Ghana. It's not necessarily cheap because it's Africa. Yes, food is cheap. I can tell you that for one thing. So when you come to Africa, you're going to get fat. Any part of Africa, any country yeah. in Africa, you get Quality fat. food also. You know, yeah. Quality food, fresh food, you know. Fresh organic forget food, yeah. free, Fresh organic, you know. Forget... That you, you can taste some funny. No, it's crunchy, it's nice because it came from the soil. So you would find that, but things are not cheap, like good accommodation and you know, even the standards, the standards of the accommodation. I've not been to a lot, a lot of countries in Africa, so you would forgive me. But I would say across West and I've only been to Namibia in the South, 
in the north, however, because they're closer to Europe, so they have higher standards and they've been able to benefit more from um, better tourism. So I've done Morocco, Egypt, Tunisia, but I've not done a lot in South. I've not even done East at all. And, um, well, I'm sure that'll be one of your last questions. But either <laughs> way, <laughs> I, I, it still falls down to those three things. So first thing, drop your mind and like literally purge it out. Purge it and know you are restarting. That's the first. So put on your on button and off button. That's it. Second one is try to give back. It feeds the soul. And the third, don't always assume you're off to Africa so it's cheap. It's not necessarily cheap. Yeah. Those are wonderful, powerful nuggets. And, you know, I'll just add a little bit to the first one in change of the mindset. Also change the mindset of what you think Africa is. So what you've seen in media, come ready to see and get your own perspective and form your own opinion. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't, don't come with that. Don't come with you think everyone is running exactly. around without clothes on exactly. or, well, or something like is, that. You know? <laughs> thank you. Or it's the Africa is just about the Ethiopia people of, of mm. the We Are The Ones song of many years ago. That is what many people still think Africa is. You know, there were some hotels in Jamaica we built to get a rate and they asked questions like, are you sure this guest can afford it? And I just said to I said to our, um, to our tour operator in Jamaica, I said, I don't want to ever see these people's names on our list of hotels to use. They would not yeah. receive one cent of our money. Yeah. Yeah, we need so to, need to drop that very derogatively. <laughs> very derogatively. It's a different way to say, oh, is it going to be affordable for them? He asked. What makes you think they're up? I can't even remember how he put it, but whatever he said was so, you know, Africa's, you know, kind of. But anyways, this guy will get there eventually. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there for that one. <laughs> so we need to, we really need to drop that mindset that there's nothing good here or, you know, I mean, whatever mindset you have. I love that nugget to just come open, come open like you're traveling to a new place. All right. Um, so my last question, and you asked me to ask you this at the end and I saved it and you alluded to it, which was good because you asked me to ask you uh, why the Nigerians travel to haven't done a lot of um as much, I, sh- I should say, as much into Africa travel um, as you would like to. What, what's the reason for that? Or reasons? Okay, so in the Africa travel is expensive. The connectivity is terrible. I mean, when you realize you want to go to Tunisia from Nigeria, you go five hours via Egypt Air into Cairo and stay overnight in Cairo to catch a two-hour flight into Tunisia. That is already two days gone, and it makes no sense. When you realize you want to go to Seychelles and you realize you have to spend the night, so Seychelles, Ethiopia, Mauritius, you have to spend the night in Addis Ababa, that's a big shot because you do that going, you do that coming. So every time you have to go to Seychelles, for example, you have to plan seven days, but you're spending only five. So when you look at it, it's not accessible technically, and it doesn't come cheap as well. So I can't say I have a solution for it because um, I think it's more embedded into our leaders. Mm -hmm. Because I'll give an example. I flew from London to Ghana for 300 pounds. And um, I would fly normally from Nigeria to Ghana for maybe 200 pounds. And that's a return flight. So why should I? That's a return flight. So why should I pay 
transit? Why, why should I pay that much? Why should I pay um, Ghana to Nigeria is a 45 minutes flight, by the way, and London to Ghana is a six hours flight. So, how does that make any justification? A friend of mine flew to, he flew to Senegal for 270,000 naira, which is like $600, I think. And I just smiled and thought, let me check my, my um, London to Senegal. It was the same price. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I couldn't justify it. So what does that say to you? It means we've been so, Africa has been shortchanged and sold um, cheaply to the foreigners. And the same, um, the same discounts or waivers they're given the foreigners, they're not giving it to um, the African brothers. They are, they are levying heavy taxes on them. They're doing things that are not making flying conducive. I mean, the AFP's chairman who always talk about um, trying to set up in Cote d'Ivoire and how they facing so much heavy um, tax on him that he couldn't actually stay. Whereas, Ecuador flies comfortably into Nigeria and out. So, the relationship in the aviation industry for the Africans is not conducive. Mm -hmm. And I know it's in the power of numbers. I've literally witnessed somebody, uh, one of those big hotel chains, one of those big travel operators in Europe, I won't call their names, who had travel markets, and I was waiting to speak to the Gambia um, tourism board. And I could hear their conversation because I wasn't too far. And he called, maybe he said he wanted maybe 300 rooms or something. Whatever the price of that hotel was, was probably $40. This guy bought it for $20 because he was buying so many rooms. So when it was time for me to ask for what I wanted to ask, I couldn't negotiate so well or so hard because to, to them, that the $20 sold was better than, because if that travel agent doesn't sell the 300 and he sells maybe 20 out of it, that's his problem, that's his risk. I know it's business, but yeah. we don't have to always get carried away with the power of numbers. And that's what happens. They give me an expensive rate and say to me, unless I'm buying so many. And I'm like, for me to come to Gambia from Nigeria, I have to fly to Senegal and then catch another flight to Gambia or I do a five hours road trip and then cross by ferry. And Gambia to Senegal is one hour. Everywhere is less than an hour away from each other. And yes, it's taking me two days to get to you and costing yeah. me more than what it would cost me to go to Europe. It's definitely a multi pronged problem. Um, because the, the the less we travel is the less need. You know, it's it's a supply and demand, but so many other external forces. I mean, yes, definitely our leaders have made it more favorable for other carriers, European carriers, American tra carriers to move within Africa much more affordable than even our own African carriers. And that's something mm -hmm. that we definitely have to change. We have to support, yes, on our side as, as consumers, we have to support, but the the, the market and the, the environment must be favorable for us to support also. We can't have an unbiased uh, playing field, you know. And I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, the Caribbean, which I call mini Africa, we have the same struggles. I lived in Antigua and Barbuda. And Antigua and Barbuda is a 15-minute flight to our neighboring country, which is St. Kitts. And I kid you not, it uh -huh. costs more money to fly to St. Kitts, which is 15 minutes away, than it is at times to go to New York, which is a four and a half hour flight yeah. from Antigua. That is yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I, it's absolutely ridiculous. I know. 
I noticed yeah. that, you know, Cuba, Cuba is an hour flight from Jamaica and it's $400 pounds to fly, $400 to fly. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing. We get a lot of people say to us, oh my God, I would love to do high island hopping. And we have to say to them, uh, it's not as much as a hopping <laughs> you're thinking, you see. <laughs> you might as well make yeah, we definitely have to change that. And, and, and I hope this podcast will drive this conversation and we change it. We don't just talk about it, we change it. We, we have the powers to change it, fellow travelers. And let's demand, let's demand that things change. Yeah. All right, we're making our final approach on this um, historic flight. Travelers, I hope you have gotten a lot of value. This has been a wonderful flight filled with a lot of food. Um, the, the in-flight meal has been quite good with various options. <laughs> uh, thank you to my co-pilot who has safely navigated this flight. And I, I, must, I must confess, travelers, I must confess that this is not the first time we're taking this flight. We actually tried this flight earlier, but there was so much turbulence. We had a lot of technical issues. We had to abort the flight and start again. So I just thought it's good that I'm open with you guys. <laughs> yeah, so we don't crash. We faced a lot of turbulence. We were determined. We tried. We got disconnected several times, but we're back. So thank you for, for bearing with us. And thank you so much, um, Elizabeth, for bearing with us. Tell us, where can people connect with you? And when is the next flight um, from Nigeria to Jamaica and backwards as, as we seek to land this flight? Okay, so the flight would leave Nigeria on the 30th of March. There would be a Nigeria, um, Lagos, Nigeria, into Accra, Ghana, and into Montego Bay. That's on the 30th. And that same, um, those who go on that route will come back on the 9th of April. It would come back same opposite route. So it would be Jamaica, Ghana, Nigeria. On the 31st, for those who want to leave the Caribbean island to come into, um, into Ghana or Nigeria, they would leave on the 31st of March and um, get into Ghana first and then get into um, Lagos. And on the 8th of April, that flight would go back to the Caribbean island from Jamaica being the entry point. All right, fantastic. And we'll have all this information in the show notes and there will be definitely be more flights in the future. So even if you can't make this one, don't give up. There'll be other flights. Uh, please note it's not a commercial flight yet. It's still a charter flight. And we need the still numbers. Charter, so we're hoping, we're hoping to do it quarterly so we can whet the appetite to be certain it can run at least, you know, every two months before we don't know it's going to be every month. We're just going to want to start small. Instead of us starting big and then we crash and say, oh, we came in our back. <laughs> so let's yeah. start small, let's build the interest. And, you know, the next year we should reach a level where people are aware that they can come to, um, they can connect with Africa directly, any country they want to. Because if you come into Nigeria, you can connect east, you can connect north, and you can connect south and west easily. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Elizabeth, for that. So, guys, we it's trial. Well, let me not call it trial, but it's phased approach right now. And when the numbers increase, the frequency will increase. But let's support at least what we have now. A quarterly flight gives you enough time to plan. Let's take it out. My my brothers and sisters in the Caribbean islands, let's, let's co- you're welcome home. You're welcome home anytime. And my brothers and sisters in Africa, you are welcome to visit the Caribbean at any time. Well, I've been the captain of this flight and it's been a pleasure hosting you guys. And I want to end the show the normal way I end the show by asking my co-pilot this one question. So, Elizabeth, Africa is... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's only a song that I'm thinking of. Can I sing? 
<laughs> You're supposed to just answer on your feet, whatever comes to your mind. <laughs> South Africa is what? Africa is my motherland. Nigeria is my country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> they must be a old there somewhere. Oh. <laughs> yes, oh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so very much. You are the first guest I've had on the show who has actually sang a response to that statement. True to your creative wow. nature. True to your creative nature. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. It's been amazing. We've got there in the end. And yes. it's safe to say the plane just arrived to Montego Bay. No. Is it Montego Bay you wanted to come to, or do you want it coming into coming into um, Ghana or Nigeria? We, we wanted it coming in, but we can go to Mobe first and then come back. That's not a problem. <laughs> I think the first so time we the, recorded we went to was Mobe. Mobe. Yeah. 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 Yes. Now we're back. Now we're back. We're, yes. we're in Accra. We're in Accra now. Yes. We've reached Kotoka Airport now. <laughs> yes, we're in Accra. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're very it's been much amazing. Welcome. Thank you. You're very Thank much welcome. Travelers. You to travelers connect with um with Elizabeth online and we'll have all the connections. Thank you so much for joining. Bye bye. Absolutely. Thank you more. Bye. Well, there you have it, travelers. What a historic flight episode this was. And you know, as I've said on numerous occasions, coming black to Africa also means reclaiming your stolen creativity. And how have we seen that exhibited in our special guest today, Elizabeth, a serial entrepreneur who has made this historic flight possible? Reach out to her in our social media. You can find out inquiries about the flight. You can give suggestions about the way you want it to go forward. Thank you so much for joining me in the show. And please remember, hit the, subscri- the subscribe button um, wherever you're getting your podcast. Please leave us a review. It helps us to build the show and to be able to be found by more travelers. Share it with your friends. Give us a review and let us know what you like, what you don't like, any suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear on the podcast or topics you'd like us to discuss. Thank you so very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye.